At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. The light of the world is our theme this Christmas season, and Today we're in part one of our series, The Light of the World, looking at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, that he makes in John chapter 8 and verse 12. So that's where we're going to be this morning. But before we do that, I want to share with you a hypothetical, just to get our, our minds working a little bit. And that hypothetical would go something like this. Imagine that you had a friend who was always complaining about the darkness in their home. They were just like, I can't even read at home. It's so dark. I can't tell who's there. It is so dark. I can't tell what I'm eating. It is so dark. And so after hearing your friend complaining about the dark again and again, eventually you go over to their house. And when you arrive at their house, you notice something odd. All of the windows are closed and covered. And all of the light bulbs inside the house are not screwed in. Now, if that was the case, how would you respond to your friend? Well, you would respond something like this. Friend, I got some good news for you. I can solve your darkness problem. The darkness does not go away by focusing on the dark. The darkness goes away by letting the light in. Now, friends, when we think about this theme and we think about our lives, we are acutely aware of the darkness in our world, aren't we? There's darkness all around us. There are entire industries that have been created to share that darkness with us and keep it ever before our eyes. Things like the evening news, things like a number of the, the, the blogs or tweets or podcasts we might listen to that are focusing on the darkness of the world and causing us maybe to fall into despair. But friends, as we head into this Christmas season, I want to remind you, the darkness won't go away by us focusing on the dark. If we focus on the dark, we will become acutely aware of it, but it will not flee. How does the darkness dissipate? By letting the light in. And we're in luck because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Amen? And by looking to him together as a church family this Christmas season, my hope and prayer is that the light of Christ illuminates our life and gives us hope instead of despair, life instead of death, direction instead of aimless wandering. And so let's dive in and look at Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world that he makes in John chapter 8, verse 12. We're going to read that one verse, and then after I read it, I'm going to make three observations about this one verse in our time together. John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We only have one verse today, so I'm going to read it a second time. <laughs> Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, how about that? Um, let me take just one quick moment, friends. I am so sorry for this. 
Let's hope that that little gremlin never comes back, right? How about that? Um, So the first thing we're going to see is we're going to see something about a connection between light and God's glory, a connection between light and God's glory. And in order to see this, we need to think for a moment about the context into which Jesus makes this statement. Jesus didn't just say, I'm the light of the world, to no one at no particular point in time, at a very specific moment in time, in a very specific place, Jesus makes this statement. And that is helpful for us in understanding what he meant. So what is the context of this? Well, the context, we look at the rest of John's gospel, not just chapter 8, verse 12, but the context tells us that he was in Jerusalem when he makes this statement, celebrating the Feast of Booths. You might recognize this as the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of several Jewish festivals where people would come from all over to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. And so they had all come to celebrate the Feast of Booths, Jesus among them. And it's at this feast that Jesus makes this statement. Now, Jesus initially wasn't going to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Booths at this time. Um, His brothers came to him. Think think of Jude and James, those guys that would write epistles later on. Early on, they, they hadn't yet believed that their brother was the Son of God. They were still in process. But they come to Jesus, and they basically say to him, Hey, Jesus, why don't you go down to Jerusalem? That's where all the action is happening. If you really want people to know who you are, you need to go down where the action is. But Jesus responded and said to them, I'm not going to go down right now because my time has not yet come. It might spark a conflict that would lead to my crucifixion before the God-appointed time. And so Jesus at first hangs back in Galilee. But Eventually, he goes down about halfway through the feast. The Feast of Booths was eight days long, so middle of the week, Jesus shows up. And he goes to the temple, but a very specific location in the temple. He goes to the area of the treasury. Now, what was the treasury in the temple? Well, the temple was in Jerusalem, and the treasury was the area of the temple where the offerings were given, where people would give money. There were a number of different horns that were in that location where people could drop their money in for various different causes. And This was also an area known as the Court of Women. It was an area that was accessible to various people, many different people. Um, Only the high priest was able to go to the Holy of Holies, but most all could go to the Court of the Women. And so it was in this location that Jesus had come, and it was there that he was teaching them. Um, Remember back in, in, in 714, Jesus was in the temple at the Feast of Booths, and he was teaching people in this treasury area. Now, in order for us to really grasp the significance of that context, I mean, hopefully you you can see where it was and, and when it was, but why did that matter? Well, in order to understand that, we need to look a little bit more at what the Feast of Booths really was, or the Feast of Tabernacles. So what is it? Well, it was a festival that God had commanded the nation of Israel to commemorate. In Leviticus chapter 23, there are a number of different festivals that God said to the nation of Israel, you're going to celebrate these holidays. Things like Passover, you might be familiar with that, or the Day of Atonement. Another of those festivals they were to celebrate was the the, the festival of booths or the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, what was remembered at that time? Well, what was remembered in the Feast of Tabernacles was God's presence and his provision for the nation during their time wandering in the wilderness. 
Remember at one point in time, the nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt and God delivers them out of Egypt and with Moses as the human leader walks them out of Egypt and towards the promised land. But as they are moving towards the promised land, they have to journey through the wilderness for a number of years. During that time of wandering in the wilderness, when they were living in tents or tabernacles or booths, that's where the name comes from, God made his presence known among them. Now, how did God make his presence known among them? Well, Numbers chapter 9 tells us, during the day, God's presence looked like what? A cloud. And at night, what did God's presence look like? Fire. So God's presence was felt among the nation at that time. That fire almost was like a a sword in its sheath during the day as it was hid in the cloud. But at night, in the darkness, it would shine forth in glory, reminding them of God's glorious presence with them in the midst of that struggle. And God provided for them water in the wilderness. He provided for them food. They remember those things in the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, this idea, appropriately so, the time of the Feast of Booths was also the time where Solomon's temple was dedicated. In 1 Kings chapter 8, it talks about the dedication of the temple. Now, why was it celebrated at the time of the Feast of Booths? Well, because that's what God had for them, but why? Well, remember, what was remembered at the Feast of Booths? God's presence with his people. And what happened at the, at the dedication of the temple, but God's presence filled the temple. The glory of God moved into the Holy of Holies among them. And so we see this is a holiday that remembers God's presence with his people. Now, even a liturgical reading at the time of Jesus that would happen every year. When I say liturgical reading, I mean when the Jewish people would gather to celebrate uh, the Feast of Booze, they would read certain passages of Scripture. We might be familiar with it at Christmas time, right? At Christmas time, Linus always reads to Charlie Brown Luke chapter 2. Every year it happens. Um, it's a liturgy, right? It's a rhythm. And there was a rhythm to the worship that the the Jewish people had. And one of those rhythms was at the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the verses that was read was Zechariah chapter 14, verses 5 through 7. This is a, a section of scripture that looks forward to the day when Messiah will come. And when Messiah comes, verse 6 of chapter 14 of Zechariah says this, On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. It's this beautiful picture that when Messiah comes, it won't matter what time of day it is, but there will be light that will illuminate the city. And the light will be God's presence with his people. And so this was what was remembered. This is what is commemorated. This is what was being looked forward to at the celebration of the Feast of Booths. But not only that, they had a very special moment in the Feast of Booths. It was called the Festival of Illumination. In the treasury area of the temple, in the court of the women, there were four large vats of oil that all held 65 liters of oil. And on top of them, there were four candelabra. These four candelabra 
powered by all of that oil, would be lit during the festival of illumination. Once a year, they would be lit as like an Olympic torch. But it was something that reminded the people of God's presence with them in the wilderness. When he showed up in that fire by night, they would light it at night and remember God's presence with the people. And then they would celebrate and party all night, remembering and reveling in God's presence among them. And then after the festival was over, they would be extinguished until the next year when that moment would be commemorated and celebrated again. It is at the Feast of Booths, after the festival of illumination is over, where they are remembering God's presence with them, where they are remembering the light of Israel, that Jesus gives his statement in John chapter 8 and verse 12. We're going to look at what Jesus meant when he said that, but I want to pause for just a moment and and think about this connection between the glory of God and, and his presence among us and light and dark. And I want to just ask the question, how many of you were, were, are afraid of the dark? Not necessarily now. No one's going to raise their hand right now. When you were a kid, how many of you were afraid of the dark? Okay, much more honesty here at this moment, right? Um, there are many of us who were afraid of the dark as a child, um, me included. I was scared of the dark when I was a kid. And the solution that my family came to was that I would leave a light on in my room until after I was asleep, and then they would come and turn it off. And they would allow me to sleep with my door open so I knew that there was some presence, there was some light, and there was some comfort. And that brought real hope to my life. In the same way, friends, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the darkness, we need to be reminded that there is a light that is on, and there is a presence that is with us that can give us hope and security and peace, even in the midst of a dark, dark world. So we see this connection between light and God's glory. But what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the light of the world? Well, friends, what he was saying was, he was saying, I am God. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm God. If, if the light at the Feast of Booths reminded them of God's presence with his people in the wilderness by Jesus standing up and making the statement, I am the light of the world, what he was really saying is, I am with you now and I am illuminating your moment now just as God's glory did with the people of Israel in the past. And, and if you will, Jesus was even saying, it was me who was in the sky before, it is me who is with you now. I am the light of the world. Jesus was claiming to be God. Now, this is further understood. If, you kept, if we were to keep reading in verse 13 and following, the Pharisees immediately begin to question the authority Jesus would have to make such a statement. They got it. They understood what Jesus was claiming. And yet, Jesus was accurate to claim it because he, in fact, was God. Now, this connection of God and light is something that is throughout John's gospel, and I want us to to look at it from the very beginning. John begins his gospel in verses 1 through 5, verses we began our service with, saying, in the beginning was the Word, the Word being Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. In the very beginning, continuing on to forever, Jesus is God. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was, was demonstrating in his connection with the light. He was claiming to be God, just as John 1 describes. But John 1.14 also says something really interesting. John, at the beginning of his gospel, says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That connection between glory and light is highlighted here as Jesus came as the light of the world, revealing God's glory to us. But even more important for our connection to this passage is this little word dwelt. Anybody know what that word dwelt means in the original language? Literally, the word that is there for dwelt is the word tabernacled, pitched a tent, lived in a temporary dwelling among us. That's what Jesus did. The Feast of Tabernacles remembered when the the nation lived in temporary dwellings in the wilderness. That Jesus coming was Jesus coming and dwelling in a temporary flesh dwelling so that we might see him and come to know him and understand a little more of his glory. This is where John begins his gospel, showing us this connection. But John ends his gospel saying this. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. John is saying, The things I chose to write down, including John 8, 12, I have written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote his gospel so that we might believe and embrace Jesus, not just as a good guy, not just as a good teacher, but as God himself. Not only do we see it in John's gospel, but at the end of John's life, he he would be used of God to produce the revelation. In the very last chapter of the scripture, Revelation 22, verse 5, there's this picture of eternity, the new heaven and the new earth, and there's no longer a need for light bulbs, and there is no longer a need for a, a sun and a solar system because there's a different lighting mechanism in eternity. It says, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus, in claiming to be the light, was claiming to be God. This idea of of the radiance of Jesus' beauty and divine nature is also talked about in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God, and his radiance illuminates our life. Jesus is the light. But friends, when we think about that, and we think about it in context, Kent Hughes helps us. He says, within the cloud that led Israel through the wilderness... There was always a heart of fire that shone forth at night, but was sheathed by day. When our Lord came, he sheathed his glory in flesh so that we could look upon him. 
Jesus is God and Jesus reveals the glory of God to us. Jesus comes to us to comfort us and to care for us and to reveal God to us. But what's fascinating is Jesus doesn't just say, I'm the light. And he doesn't say, I'm the light of Israel. What does he say? I'm the light of what? I'm the light of the world. Now, this makes sense because, again, throughout John's gospel, he drives home the fact that Jesus is not just a territorial deity, but Jesus is the God of all things, the one true God. He says in, in, in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus made all things, not just the things in the promised land, not just the things in the nation of Israel, but he made all things. Not just the people of Israel, but he made all people. And so we see here that he is a claim of God over the whole world. Not only that, but in Romans chapter 3, it says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Jesus is not just the God of one people, but Jesus is the one who is the one true God over all people. All will ultimately be accountable to him. In Isaiah chapter 49, in verse 6, this statement is made. It says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. But I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Friends, Jesus came not just to be a light for one region of the world, Jesus came to be the light of the world. Jesus is our God. As we sit here today, the only true God that exists is our Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus has revealed him to us. Now, when we think about this implication of Jesus as God... I think it helps us in a, in a couple of areas. First of all, it helps us know why we make such a big deal out of Christmas, right? Have you ever thought, well, why does everybody make such a big deal out of Christmas? I mean, we don't take a month to remember Washington's birthday. It's just a day, and we only celebrate it here. Why are people all over the earth making such a big deal out of Jesus' birth, and why are we celebrating it for a season and not just a time? Why, why does Martin Luther King, his birthday is not even a, a holiday for everyone in our culture, and yet Christmas Day is off for everybody. Why is it that Jesus' birthday is elevated? above others. It's because Jesus is not just a good guy. When Jesus was saying, I'm the light of the world, he wasn't saying, I'm better than most. I have a cheery disposition. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, I am God. And if Jesus is God and God has come to earth and he came to earth to give his life, to save us from our sins, to rescue us from sin and judgment and to reconcile us with God forever, then friends, that is something worth remembering. That is someone worth celebrating, not just this month, but every day, every moment of our lives. That's why we make such a big deal out of this. And that's why we have a call to take the name of Christ and to spread it among all the nations. 
It's why we have missionary partners all over the world because Jesus is the light of the world. Why would we take the light of the world and not share it with those living in darkness? The implications of what we see here are significant. Jesus is God. So how do we respond to that? If, you know, we've seen this connection between the light and the glory of God, we've seen Jesus making this claim that, that he is in fact God, what do we do with that? How, how, do we, how do we appropriately respond to the Christmas season? How do we appropriate, appropriately respond to, to God himself? Well, we follow Jesus and we live in the light. We follow Jesus and we live in the light. Jesus ends this phrase. He doesn't just say, I am the light of the world, mic drop and walk off. He could have done that, but he doesn't. After saying, I am the light of the world, he continues with both an invitation and a promise. The invitation that he gives is an invitation for us to follow him. Whoever follows me, Jesus said, whoever follows me. He is inviting us to follow him. This is the most common command that Jesus gives. Some 87 times in the Gospels, we see the command to follow me. Jesus said it all the time because he wanted to make sure we didn't miss it. It's an invitation to whoever who hears his voice that we might follow him. And if we follow him, then there's a promise. If we follow him, then we will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that is amazing, right? That's amazing. He's inviting us to leave the darkness and the insecurity and the fear and the destruction of this world and to move into his light that gives life. Friends, what grows in the dark? Mold. Mold grows in the dark. But what grows in the light? Every good thing. All kinds of fruit that nourish our bodies. Jesus was saying, that if we follow him, we will actually have access to the life that we were created to live. Amen? We will actually have forgiveness of our sins so that we might be reconciled to God. Amen? Friends, this is what God is offering to us. And it is an amazing invitation that carries with it an amazing promise. So the question is, why would anybody not come? Jesus said, Follow me, and you will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Why would anyone not respond to that invitation? Well, Jesus provides an answer for us. And he provides that answer in John chapter 3. We're familiar with John 3, 16, but what he says right after that I think is really fascinating. He's talking here about light and darkness and why anyone would choose to stay in the dark. This is what he says. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus was saying, I have come into the world. But then he says something about humanity. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Why is it that we don't come to the light of Christ? Jesus would say, because we love our darkness more. We've convinced ourselves that the dark is better. 
We've convinced ourselves that if nobody knows about the darkness of my soul, that no one will ever know about the darkness of our soul. We've convinced ourselves that that moment of ecstasy in feeling something in an addiction or in an illicit sexual relationship outside of God's design, whatever it might be, we've convinced ourselves that that high is worth it. But what comes on the other side of it? It always overpromises. It never over delivers. And yet our, our, our darkness of our own soul is trying to convince us that we would be better off in the dark than coming into his light. But Jesus cuts through all the fog. Jesus speaks to our souls even this morning and says, come out of the darkness. Come out of the darkness. If you believe in me, you will not remain in the dark. You will not remain on the the business end of the wrath of God. You will not remain separated from God forever. You will not remain dealing only with disgrace and despair and hopelessness. Jesus is saying, come to me and I will shine my light on your soul and I will expose all of your sin, but I will also forgive it. And I will point you in the direction of the path of true life. Friends, if if you are, are here today and you are clinging to some dark, let it go. The one who created all things is shining his light and inviting you to come into it. That you might be forgiven and set free from the bondage of the dark. The affair, the relationship, the embezzlement, none of it is worth it. It's a terrible trade-off from living in the light of God's grace. And we walk out of the dark and into the light as we embrace Christ by faith. John Calvin summarizes this idea. He says, We must not be afraid then that this light will fail in the middle of our journey, for it leads us right up to life. The genitive is used in the Hebrew manner instead of the adjective to denote the effect as if he had said the life-giving light. Jesus is the life-giving light, Calvin reminds us. But then he, he summarizes the response this way. He says, It is no wonder that such deep darkness of error and superstition reign in the world when so few look to Christ. If we live in our house with the windows covered and the light bulbs out, we should not just complain about the dark, especially when the light shines. Our hope right now is that we would open the windows and allow the light of Christ to shine on our souls. And so how might we do that? Two things that I would say. The first thing that I I would say is this. Place your faith in Jesus as your Savior. Now, for some of you in the room, I know that this is something that you have already done. At some point in the past, you have come to Christ and you have trusted him for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, What that meant, what happened in that moment is that you realized that you were a sinner and you were in need of a Savior. And you understood that Jesus came and died on the cross to offer his 
life as a sacrifice for our sins. And by believing in him, you have seen his death pay the penalty for your sins so that you might be saved forever in him. If that is already you, that you might hear these words today and just thank God for the light of salvation. But I also believe that there are people here today that have never begun that process of following Christ. That you have walked in today and you are living in a shadow of darkness. You're hiding from God. You're hiding from others. As we've been talking today, and we've been talking about a light that is shining in Christ, maybe the Spirit of God has been stirring your soul, making you wonder, is it possible that there's a different way? Is it possible there's a better way? Is it possible that the one who knows me fully might forgive me completely in Christ? Can it be? If that's the case, know that if you follow Christ, as we saw in John 12, he will lead you out of the dark and he will lead you into the light of life. May you trust in him today for the forgiveness of your sins. And, and, and that's something you can do right where you sit, but also after the service, there'll be some of us up here at the foot of the cross that would love to meet with you and talk more about that and pray with you as you begin that journey of leaving the dark and coming to the light and trusting Christ as your rescuer of sin and judgment. There's a second thing, and it goes along with it. And that second thing is this, follow him in obedience in all areas of your life. Jesus' invitation was not just to make a decision, it was to make a disciple. Jesus was inviting us not to have a weekend with him, not to have a retreat with him, but to follow him with our lives. Jesus is moving in a direction and he invites us to come along behind him and and live in the way that he has illuminated for us. You know, there are many believers who have areas of our lives that are still clinging to the dark and mold is growing, and you know it. May today be a reminder that that is no way to live and that Jesus has something better for you. This Christmas season, don't live in the dark. Follow Jesus into the light, the life-giving light. You were created for a very specific purpose, to know God and to live in relationship with him. May you follow him into the light today. Friends, this is the invitation that was given. May we invest our lives in that direction this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for just the, the privilege of opening your word and reading it together. Lord, thank you for this passage that challenges us, um, encourages us to not stay in the dark but to follow you into the light. And thank you that that light brings salvation. Thank you that that light brings true life. Thank you that that light brings hope. Lord, I pray that no one would stay in the darkness because we like our darkness. Lord, may we realize the futility of that. May we come to you, the light of the world, and may we make known among all people, even in this place, your light. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.